Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you by, for your incredible uh, mercy and love. We pray that we will be continually possessed by that real sense of the awe of your goodness and the amazing sense of your mercy for such a person as myself, for such as one as like me. We just pray, Father God, that we will not become accustomed, acclimatized, desensitized to your incredible mercy. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will have your way in our minds and hearts and lives, not just externally in the atmosphere around us, but the very depth of my being. May I be like more like you, Lord Jesus, we pray. Made alive in the palm of your hand. We can marriages be made alive, hearts made alive, bodies made alive, my mind made alive, my hopes made alive in the palm of your hand. We pray that we may be alive in you today. Let a miracle of mercy and a miracle of grace be released continually in us, not only in us, but through us to reach out to others, we pray. In your name, Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's look up together. It's great to see you this morning. It it really is. And um, so we're going to continue together in uh, with a series in this morning, looking at uh, uh, the letter of James entitled "Just Do It." And so we're looking at a a series together of messages that would look to be very challenging. Challenging because the letter that James wrote to the early Christians was incredibly straightforward and amazingly inspiring and challenging. And our desire is to, to continue with that challenge and inspiration, but also we pray that it will be practically uh, encouraging for each one of us uh, in our hearts and, and for, you know, our, our lives. James, uh, in James chapter 1, uh, verse 22, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. James 1.22. Don't just listen to God's word. Um, and you just, if you just do that, you deceive yourself if that's all you do. He says you've also got to do what it says. Hence coined the series, just do it. Because we listen to what God has for us and put it into practice. Hear and obey. And for James, this is a key um, heart message He wasn't shouting at Christians and beating them with a stick and telling them what to do. Because as we'll see from this morning, he speaks in what we're going to look at in the next few moments this morning about the amazing grace of God that will help us in the challenges ahead. But he does encourage us not to just be listeners. Otherwise, we go to, it's just like a club, but to actually be doers of it as well. And so to hear and obey uh, is so key if our faith is to be living and alive Not only what we experience for ourselves, but what's released out and through us is so powerful. And so James was sharing this, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago. And what he shared then is as relevant right here and right now. And that's what we're looking to try and be, uh, make these things as uh, relevant this morning. So if you have a Bible uh, or you're looking at it on an iPad or a smartphone or whatever you're looking at, you might like to turn to James chapter 4 just for a moment or two. And I'm going to read uh, a number of verses. 
So James 4 verse 1 reads like this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You uh, desire, but you do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says that without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And this is the good news. And he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So don't go pointing the finger at others uh, because there's three looking back at us. Verse 13, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city and that and spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And as it is, you boast In your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I want to speak this morning, just for a few moments, conscious of the time, on priority, plans, and our pockets. And over the next couple of weeks, when I do speak, we'll look at that. This morning, we're going to look at priorities. God's priority for life. But um, it's interesting because uh, in the reading that we've just read initially from uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, I, I'm going to suggest to you this morning it deals with our hearts. Our pro- where's your priority? What is your priority? Who is your priority? What is the priority of your life? And uh, in verses 13 to 17, goes on to speak about your plans, about doing this tomorrow or that next week, and you make your plans. He speaks about the plans that we make, and they're based on our priorities, you see. So we're going to deal with priorities first. And then, we didn't read it this morning, but in chapter 5, which will be on another occasion in in verses uh, 1 to 6, he deals with riches, our pockets, Life and finance and wealth and what is wealth and what do we do with it. And so it's incredibly important to have our priorities right. And so this morning, that's where we're going to focus for a moment or two. But it's going to be linked over two or three 
um, mornings in, uh, over, the, over the next number of weeks, uh, looking at this idea of priorities, which then leads into the plans that we have for life. And then the plans we have for life affects our finance or our wealth and material things of life, our pockets as well. So priorities of life, uh, where we're going to go um, for uh, this morning. Um, so, first of all, the things that we have in our hearts really, really determine where we will go in life. Psychologists speak of um, outlook can determine outcome. Um, I would say what's in our hearts will really determine the way our life ultimately goes. And this is what James is going to share. We're going to look unpack in just the next few moments this morning. And uh, the question is, what is the priority in your life? Now, you must say, oh, come on, Adrian. That's a bit of a stupid question. I'm here this morning. I'm sitting in a church. I'm going to listen to you for the next 20 minutes. Um, My priority has got to be God. It's God. And... uh, That's the hope of my life, that my priority is with God. But um, James speaks to people like you and me. We're only made of clay and the challenges that we face in life. And he wants to speak, and I think he says something for today. Because whoever or whatever has your heart and my heart really um, will challenge and take the very um, path of our lives where we'll go in work and life and marriage and home. And it's incredibly important and fundamental. And so um, what James will show us, and just to introduce this really, is that the heart of this age or the heart of this world is not compatible with the heart of God. The plan on priorities of this world are not compatible with the plan and priority of God. It's not what I'm going to say. We're going to see it in the text ourselves, what James is going to share. And if we are not careful, if our hearts are possessed by the plans and priorities of this age or world, it will put us in a collision course with the plans and priorities of God. And you say, well, I'm a Christian. I, you know, that's, that's fantastic if that's what you say. But let's have a look at this together. Because God calls us to have his priority, a kingdom heart. And, and uh, that, that's where we're going to go over the, the next moment. Because, you see, if my heart, my priorities are of this world, what James will show us is that we live to please ourselves. Fundamentally, that's what happens, no matter how good you try to live your life. And there's a lot of good people in this world. The world isn't a total place of doom and gloom. There are lots of people that don't believe and don't have faith, and they're really good people. But if our hearts, and this is what we're going to see in the next few moments, and I'll summarize it. If our hearts have a plan and priority of this age, we live to please self rather than living to please God. And that is really, really dangerous. So first of all then, let's have a look at the problem. Uh, 
first thing is, um, there are three things that we're going to look at. There's a problem, first of all, and it deals with what's inside us. It's internal. There's something inside the heart of every person, and it's the desires within us. And uh, it's not wrong to have desire, to like something, to want something. They're God-given. But it's when... Um, somebody said this, it's not wrong to have possessions, but when your possessions possess you, that's when it's wrong. That's when it's dangerous. So can I just say, everything that I'm going to say now has a caveat with it. You know, it's not wrong to love things or love certain things, but if those things begin to possess you, that's when it's gone all wrong, because that's where your heart is. And this is really important. So it's what goes on inside of us. And this is what James has to say. Look at this. In verse 1, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? It's in us. It's in our hearts and in our minds. Every human being, don't think that you're so good. James actually says this to Christians. He's speaking to believers when he shares this. There's people who were in, in church, the scattered believers who would have gathered together this style. And he's saying to them, you know, what, what, what wages a war, what struggles we have in us are the struggles that are inside our hearts and minds. He says it's our desires that battle within us. He says you desire but you, you do not have. So you kill, you covet, and you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight, you strive. Life is about striving then. And you do not have because you, when you do ask, um, you, you, you don't receive because you have a wrong motive. And that motive is to please yourself. And that's probably the punchline. That is the real heart of the matter here, uh, is this, that it's, we spend what we get on our own pleasure. It's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to enjoy life. But it's when my life, my heart, there's an internal struggle, struggle, struggle rather, uh, and it's within me, and it's something that's out to possess. Our possessions are out to possess us. And he says it's an internal struggle that's going on. It's not what's on the outside so much. It's what's on the inside in our hearts and minds. And so he says there, desire leads us to quarrel and to kill. To cover is to want more. You know, isn't it interesting? A consumer culture is based on wealth is about consuming more, more, wanting more, getting more. I'm not going to beat myself up over it, and I'm not asking you to. But it's, it's interesting. That's the culture. That's the atmosphere that is around us. And it says that then, then the motives in that type of atmosphere, he says, you don't have. You don't have enough. You never have enough because you're just spending it on your own self and pleasure. It's all about self, being self-centered rather than God-centered. Having a heart that's possessed by possessions. And not just having lots of things, but me, me, me. Me. And so this is an internal struggle. Now, can I say this? It's intoxicating. Don't think it's not you or it's not me or it's a person behind or it's someone in the street. It's someone that's got their money invested on the stock exchange. It's someone that lives in a big, big house. It's part of being human. It's part of the fall, falling away from God. And it's intoxicating. I use that word because it is intoxicating. Um, it comes to a point where it becomes a habit and it possesses. And even good people, you know, great people, good Christians, people that started off and you can remember when you loved God so much, grips and gets you. It's addictive. 
This desire is addictive if we don't watch it. It really is. You know, a whole advertising and consumer culture is based around this. Hooking the desire. Treat yourself. You're worth it. You need this. You'll feel better when you get this. You're in charge. It's your life. My rights. I could go on. It's me, my, and I. And it feeds. It feeds. It's really interesting that in the Western church, this type of culture has now proved to be a spiritual wilderness in some ways for Christianity. Not in every aspect. It's not all doom and gloom. But this type of, and it's intoxicating. It's in some ways initially invigorating, but we will never have enough. It will never satisfy. And that's why James says, you ask with wrong motive. You spend all that you can get on your pleasures, but it never seems to fully satisfy. It is a war that goes on inside of us. Second thing then that it leads to, if we're going to address our right priorities. James identifies a problem in our priorities and, and where the heart, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. This is what James is basically saying. But it's not all doom and gloom and he's not beating us over a head and saying, how bad you are, you intoxicated lot. It's not what he's saying. Have a look at this in a moment or two. Second thing is this. Now, if we continue on that path, this is what James has to say. It puts us at enmity with God. The NIV translates it like this. This struggle, if we feed myself, myself, self, me, my and I nature, if we do truly become intoxicated by my destiny, I'm in charge of my life, as it were, And you don't have to have a lot of things to be like that because it's that intoxicating. It's the atmosphere that we're in. It will put us at enmity with God. James says it himself there. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? If we find ourselves so possessed by this age, that's what he's saying, the principles and purpose and heart of this age in which we live. The age without God. The age that says that you are in control. It's your destiny, your purpose. It's you, 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 you and me. Then that will ultimately lead us. That intoxication becomes a habit. And that habit will absolutely grip us and place us in a place. It's a very strong word. Enmity with God. In other words, the word there means an enemy of God. I read that. And it jumped out the page and caught me. It puts a person in a place as as an enemy of God. At enmity, at war. In other words, at war with. The self-centered life is at war with the God-centered life. It's as simple and as stark as that. James is really in your face when he shares that. And we can call ourselves a Christian, we could read the Bible, but if we don't do it, if we don't hear what God is saying, the heartbeat of God, and then do it, we've been a place at war. As I said earlier, it's, if, we, if we're a friend of this world, we become an enemy of God. It's not wrong to possess things, but it goes wrong when those things possess us, because our, we are the possession of God. 
He goes on to say this, and it gets, it really gets, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You adulterous people. You know, um, self-rule, and this is going to be a really strong statement to make, but me being in charge of me, putting me at the centre, because you, you, you're worth it. It's your life. You, what you say goes. You're in control. You are your destiny. That's the, that's the spirit of this age. And you just feed you, 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 you. That ultimately leads to adultery and idolatry. It, James says it there. It, it, it leads us into a place where we fall away from God and we put ourselves in the place of God. That's what idolatry ultimately is. You know, um, idolatry is the worship of... The idolatry is the worship of everything and anything other than God. We're called to... We were made for God, to love God and to enjoy God. When we talk of worship, worship is to love God and be loved by him. Not just singing some songs, so to enjoy God. And so anything that takes my heart... I, I heard somebody say that worship, anything that gets your heart, that's really gripped your heart, that's, that's, so what you, that's what you worship. I've, you know, I, didn't, I don't worship my car, but when I first bought my, my nice... Um, New, it's not brand new, but uh, red um, Seat Leon, and it was a car that I was after. I, I didn't, I'm not saying I worshipped it, but I really liked it. <laughs> not worshipped it, honestly, but it, it was getting close to really, really liking it. Really, really, really. Do you know, we can worship our car, or we can worship our job, or we can worship our leisure, we can worship our pleasure, we can worship our husband, worship our wife, we could worship you. you what, who, what, who or whatever's got your heart, that's what you worship. And it's adulterous. And it leads to idolatry. That's why it puts us at war with the heart of God. And uh, so you can see where this culture is going. This age. This, this age in the heart of our age which says your priority is you. You can see why this leads us in a terrible situation to be at war. And so there's a lot of talk of we need a revival. We need a change of our hearts. To bring our hearts back to the heartbeat of God. And he goes on to say there, look at this. Uh, so in, in those verse, verses there, it says, um, therefore anyone who chooses, he, he goes on to say, he says, you know, you covet, but you cannot get what you want in verse two. You covet, but you can't get what you want. You know, the more we want, the more we get, the more it doesn't satisfy. You now need, what is the latest, I forget what is the latest iPhone now. I just don't know. What, I don't, what, anyone tell me, what is it now? Sorry? I don't know. I don't know. Something, it might be. Okay, so you need it. You need that one because it's the latest, the fastest, the biggest, the best. And and it just won't be, it won't satisfy because it it just doesn't. It just costs you more. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the gist of the whole thing. And so this stuff ultimately doesn't satisfy. It's not wrong to have stuff. It's not wrong to have these things. It's just, it's okay. But ultimately, it just doesn't really satisfy We've never been as stressed as we've ever been in this age and dissatisfied with life than we've ever been in this age. And even in church, and even in church, dare we say it can sometimes be like that. And it's all down to our hearts 
and our priorities. It's what he says. It's what James is saying here. How about this? Psalm 107 verse 9. Listen to this about satisfaction. Psalm 107 verse 9. Make a note of this. The Lord, he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. How about that? God will satisfy the thirst of your heart and fill you with the hunger, when you're hungry, with good things. James also says that every good and perfect gift comes from heaven, down from the Father of lights. So God knows what the, the good things that we need. Isn't that great to know? It's not all doom and gloom. It's not that we can't have anything, but he knows what satisfies, what truly, truly, truly satisfies us. And... Um, it's great to hear people talking about their journey on, on, on last Sunday at the baptism, about finding a relationship with God, knowing that Jesus Christ, and beginning to take... And the Bible says, taste and see that God is good. He's, Jesus described himself as the bread of heaven. He truly satisfies hunger. He, when, when we drink of him, the, the, the thirst is truly quenched. Nothing else will satisfy. So what can we do finally then? You might say to yourself... Final, final point, third point is this. There is something that we can do. It's amazing. It's something simple, but something very challenging. It's something beautiful. And it leads to some incredible things happening in our lives. Miracles will be released in your life and marriage and home, our church, our nation, and your body, in your mind, in your heart. And amazing things will happen if we can do this, these next, this next thing. Uh, James says, um, he, he goes on to say, um, humble yourself. It says this um, in verse 6, but he gives us more grace. This is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace or favor to the humble. Then he goes on to say this, practically, this is what we can do. He says, submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble ourselves. James says the, the route to an open heart and a right priority and having God's heart is humility. To humble ourselves. I heard somebody say that uh, humility isn't thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. Bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? If you think about it for a minute, or a week or two. I had to think about it for a week or two. A minute wasn't enough for me. I thought about it for a long time. But humility is not thinking less of yourself. You know, I'm rubbish. I'm no good. Maybe someone's told you, you're rubbish, you're no good. That's not humility. I'll tell you what it is. It's thinking of yourself less. We're to be not self, not me, my, and I, but God. But God, to say, you, God, you, Lord, I can't do it, but you can. It's not my life. It's yours. I'm not living just for me. We sung it this morning. How many of us sung it for your glory? That's humility. We're singing. We want humility. You and I sang this morning. I want humility for your glory. I want to live for your glory. That's what it means. Isn't that amazing? You're not a worm. We're not rubbish. We're beloved. We are so loved. And God wants to fill our hearts with goodness and mercy and love and hope and good plans because his plans are great. Living for him. 
And so the action plan then is this. And he uses a number of action words for the informed. I think they're called verbs. But and so there's this. Submit. Submit to him. Not me, 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 me. It's you, you, you. Your will. You'll be done. Uh, resist. He says, resist the devil. But there's, there's something to resist. There's something in me. And there's something external to me. The devilish opposition. And we talk about my internal desire. And when you get devilish opposition mixed with my internal desire, there's something in me to, to stand in God, strengthen God. Um, come near. How about that? It says, and God will come near to you. I've spoken a lot. I'm not going to speak much on this now, but I've spoken a lot in the past about momentum. And when we move to God, he moves to us. There's a momentum that there's a momentum in our hearts that says, I just want to live for you. Maybe you can do very little to stand right now and you haven't got much left in your heart or tank, the emotional or mental tank. But if you in your heart, you say, I want to live for you. That's you making a move to God. As soon as you make that move, as simple as that, says, James says, God will move towards you. Isn't that amazing? If you feel that broken, that bruised, that difficult in life to make a go, you don't feel very good as a Christian, you, you've let God down. If it's just that something, Jesus talked about grains of mustard seed can move mountains. It's just that. There's that hope and desire that says, I want to live for you. That's coming near. That's coming near. And it says that God will come near to you. And when he does, he'll warm your heart. He goes on to say, wash your hands, humble yourself. And um, hard work, you might say, this morning. That's hard. And uh, I, 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 I can just hear. I, I know in my own life at times, there's been something in me that says, I'm worn out, Lord. Maybe this morning you are. Maybe you think it's tough. We've never had it so We've, was it Harold? Was it? I didn't live in this era, so I'm not that old. But Macmillan said you've never had it so good. Maybe you might be saying we've never had it so hard. We've had it so good. Now it's very hard. I don't know what your motto is, but you know it can be tough at times. We, we can feel. But hey, look, look at this. Is the good news, and with this we're going to finish because there is a power, there is a grace that God will give you and I, whereby we can overcome. Listen to this. It's a quite spectacular. In verse 6, we read there, and with this we'll be closing in a moment or two. Our third, this is our final point. In verse 6, um, James um, says these words. He says, so it's pretty gloom and doom, isn't it? En- enemy of God in verse 4. Um, yeah, God has a jealousy, a real desire, passion, burning passion for our hearts and lives. And then he says this in verse 6, but... But he gives us more grace. There's a very, that's a very, don't rush by that. That's very special because James isn't beating us over the head saying, come on, you 21st century Christians, you consume a lot. Get a grip, get a life. Come on. He's not saying that. He says, I know it's going to be a struggle, but look at this. Look at this. He, that's God, gives us more grace. And then he goes on to say, that's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Grace and favour to the humble. It's really interesting. The lowering of my heart raises the hand of God to bless me. That's what he's saying there. The lowering of my heart, the me, my, and I in me, releasing that and saying, not me, Lord, but you. The lowering of me 
raises the, so the lowering of my heart raises the hand of God to bless. It's an upside down kingdom. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then everything you need will be given you. We seek all those things first, don't we? But Jesus said, it's, it's all up, you've got it all upside down. God's true kingdom, true heart is get right with God. Get your heart right with God. And he knows your daily bread. He knows all that is. And our motivation will be for his glory, not for my pleasure. And it's not wrong to have enjoyment of life. That's good. But it's just not for me, 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 me. And um, so the lowering of my heart raises the hand of God to bless me. And it says there, but God gives us more grace. Now listen to this. This is really interesting. And with this, I want to just conclude this. The word there, um, the word gives more, in actual fact, in its literal translation, it means this, gives more and more grace. It's an interesting, the translation we have just says God gives more grace. But the literal translation of the day, the day and age in which it was written, there's, a, it, it's, there's something that's almost a little bit hidden. It literally means God gives more and more. God is lavish. God, the, the, the picture there that God is a lavish God, a very generous God. And so the translation there means God gives more and more. It goes on a bit further in the original translation. So where it says God gives grace to the humble, it literally translates that as God gives continually. There's a continual grace. So the picture is this. God is continual doesn't just say, well, there, 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 you've put your heart towards me. There you go, on your way. It's continual, constant, 24-7, mercy, love. So today you'll be okay, but tomorrow you're not. He'll be with you. It's continual. It's incredible. It, in the translation, it, it can be missed. But it literally means there, more and more and continually, more and more. The word grace means this, unmerited favor. Write it down, that God loves you, God loves me with unmerited favor. In other words, it means this, it's unmerited, it can't be earned. No matter how good or how bad you are, it's not based on on merit. We do not live in a meritocracy. We live in a kingdom of grace, mercy. I could never be good enough. And so there's grace. So where he says that God will give you favor. The word there is lavishing of love. Continual, continual lavishing of love upon your heart and life. And so when you ask for mercy, when you ask for help, God will continually more and more and more give us hope and help and mercy in our time of need and in our struggle and in our internal angst or depression or worry about making ends meet and life. We don't have to struggle. We don't have to strive. We don't have to live and be possessed by the stuff around us. God knows what we need. Jesus talked about, in John chapter 14, Jesus talked about going away to be with the Father. And then he said this, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will help you. He's the helper. He'll be with you and in you. And so it's the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, when we give our hearts and lives to God, when we say, Jesus, forgive, God, forgive us. I ask you for forgiveness for living for me. I now want to live for you. Forgive me. We repent. He forgives us through the death of his son and gives us the Holy Spirit continually with love and lavishing 
mercy upon our hearts. And it's that, that when we set our hearts to live for him, he lavishes love and mercy by the power of his spirit in you and in me. And that's how we break the intoxication, not through striving, but by his grace, continual, overflowing. The psalmist says, my cup overflows, living for him, a heart for him, and not for me, seems to bring an overflow of incredible mercy to our lives. We've been sold a lie. You need more. You need to get. You need to keep it to yourself. It's for you. You're worth it. You've earned it. It's not an actual fact. It will never satisfy. That's why we're all cracking up. It's for his glory. I say that in a, not in a, trying to be funny, by the way, because I've been under incredible pressure at times in my own life, and I wanted to give up, and I wanted to succumb to this, but I've coming back again, and even in the only last few weeks of looking at this again, his, his mercy, his grace, which is a continual flow. I don't know where you are right now. We're going to pray together. We're going to sing as we conclude this morning. God bless you. But we're going to ask the Holy Spirit just to be released afresh in us and through us. We're going to throw ourselves on the mercy of God. We're going to say, humble ourselves under his mighty hand and say, Father God, I want to live for your glory. I want to live for you. As we do that and begin to move towards him, he will move towards you. And as you open up your heart and life, there will be a flow of mercy, a flow of grace that will help you like you've never known before. And it can be continual if we come to him continually. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to live for your glory. I sung those words this morning. It's a great song. God be exalted. God be exalted. We live for your glory. And so, Father God, would you see our hearts? You know our struggles this morning. You know what's going on in our hearts and minds. You know what's going on at work. You know, the pace of life. Uh, you, know, you know what's happening. You know the intoxication of this age, uh, the consumer culture that I live in. You know what I feed and what my priorities are. And uh, I don't want to live on a collision course to be at war with your spirit. But I want to be in the flow of your spirit. I want to be at peace and at one with you, Father. And I, so I just open my heart and I say, forgive me. We pray, forgive us. If I've lived for me, I've heard what you say, but I'm still living for me. I want to live for your glory. And in saying that, in praying that, I'm seeking to humble myself and say, only you can satisfy. Only truly you, Holy Spirit, can satisfy. Uh, every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above, from the Father of lights descending down into our hearts and lives. May you satisfy us, Father God. Satisfy family and heart and life and home and marriage and job, our church, our nation. We pray that we might live for your glory. We might live for your glory. So help us, Holy Spirit. Empower us. Refresh. Flow again in a fresh way in my mind. May I be renewed, restored, forgiven healed, drawn close to you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would let a mercy flow like we've never known before. You are doing things in this day, in this era, at this time in our nation. There are things that you want to do. You have a desire. You are the desired of all nations and you have a desire for this nation. I believe it, Father God. I believe you've not given up. 
It's not the end until you say it's the end. It's not over until you say it's over. You are the beginning, alpha, and the end, omega. And it's not the end yet. We haven't come to that point. You have the final say, Jesus. And I pray for marriages, livelihoods, homes, people's bodies, people's hearts and minds here this morning. We pray and come before you, Father, and just say, we need you. We love you. We want to honour and adore you afresh. So Holy Spirit, have mercy. Jesus, Father God, pour out love and hope and forgiveness, we pray this day, so that we may come towards you and you, you, oh, you are drawn irresistibly to hearts like that. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray, have your way. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's stand together as we close. Sing together. Draw near to him. He loves you and will draw near to you.